friend in high school who we would used to hang out like and we'd have these like parties or sleepovers where like six guys would all be staying at this one guy's um house and he had like a little pool house boys have sleepovers yeah we do and they were great <laughs> and they were so great and we wouldn't uh we would run down to like walmart or something and we'd purchase way too much candy and way too many sodas and then we'd stay up till like four in the morning playing call of duty or whatever teenage boys do at that time it was mostly call of duty i also have candy you also have candy where did you get your candy um when I was sitting in the library for six hours, uh, somebody came up and offered me candy. <laughs> nice, great. If uh, if if the, oh, well, you just took it. Yeah. Or if they were like, "Hey, I have candy in my car," would you be like, "Okay, no, I wasn't gonna give up." Get up! I was in the middle of doing homework. Not the, because they could have been a sex trafficker, but because you were in the middle of doing. homework. I was in the middle of doing homework. Yeah. But if they, if you weren't doing homework and you were just sitting in the library and someone was like, "Hey, candy in my car, you want it?" Would you have been like? No, not in their car. No? No. Okay. He had it in a bag. He just came yeah. up here like, you want candy? And I was like, yeah. I want candy. Yeah, I want candy. Who do you think candy? I am? Anyway, so we would um, we would all hang out in this little pool house and play video games, listen to loud dubstep music. And uh, I had a friend in high school who we would all be drinking really caffeinated drinks. And he'd be like, yeah, I can't ever really drink Mountain Dew because it just makes me so tired. And we were like, that's, that's really weird. It makes you tired. Like the, for the rest of us, it like kicks us up and makes us like super energetic and uh he's like nah it just makes like i always fall asleep whenever i have too many and we're like wow that's really weird uh flash forward four years turns out he was uh diabetic so <laughs> it was no! just i was just his pancreas being like stop killing me stop. <laughs> lisa stop <laughs> lisa stop killing me all i want is to live <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a fun... He didn't find out till his senior year. So it was like five years because we started hanging out like that maybe in seventh grade. Okay. And then five years later, we find out he's diabetic and we realized why Mountain Dew put him to sleep. But was it just Mountain Dew? Or no, like... it was just like the sugar in general. Like he was... Yeah, I was going to say sugar. it shouldn't just be Mountain Dew. But he was also just like... We, we attributed it to that because we would have a lot of Mountain Dew while we were there. And so we were like, it's... Our seventh grade minds were like, I'm drinking a lot of Mountain Dew. I'm getting tired. Mountain Dew makes Mountain me tired. Mountain Dew makes me tired. <laughs> this process of elimination. Um, what is that? That's like, what is it? Aristotle's like, is it Aristotle's uh, analogy or something like, uh, man is terrible. I am man. Therefore, I am terrible. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But th in this case, it's about being diabetic and, <laughs> drink and drinking too much Mountain Dew. <laughs> well, uh, this is... Media for the intellectually impoverished. I'm Randy. I'm Taylor. And this is the podcast that enriches your media ochre lives. <laughs> I thought you said we can't do music. Oh, uh, uh, scratch that. Editor, scratch that. <laughs> I'm the editor. Scratch that. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about music and music composition. Music composition. I mean, kind of. Uh, I'll just be talking about like the some of the composers processes um oh you're way deeper than me <laughs> i mean kind it's not like a lot about composition it's more just about like how they you'll see but yeah this is actually our first recording since we left for our christmas break um so all of the stuff that you've been hearing for this new quote season end quote <laughs> is uh no all... the rest of the podcast is gonna be in quotes, quotes yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the stuff that you you've been hearing for the past few weeks has been recorded um pre-christmas and we're putting it out post-christmas uh and the episode i think just came out will be one that we recorded so long, long ago. ago and i just it was such a long episode that i, I didn't like want to sit down and edit it and uh that i did and then now you're gonna hear it um so well actually i haven't started editing that yet but i will be starting that tonight i was going to say it is almost friday and yeah. you don't have anything I, I mean i usually do them all in one sitting anyway um but it's it's gonna be fine it's gonna be great I a lot of that never is... once doubted you because you always get it done and even when you text me and you're like i'm sorry i haven't started it i'm like i don't care it's i mean i do care but it's okay like i know you'll get it done this is the first time where i'm like taylor <laughs> is you're cut a little closer yeah a little a little bit 
and only because the file is such a it's such a long session like we spent two is it just hours. intimidating to like start it's intimidating to start that one okay that all the rest of them I'm like yeah let's go and start it because they're like an hour and 30 an hour mm -hmm. and 15 at max hour 45 but that one was like 215 and i'm like oh, i've got to sit through all of that and wade through all of that and find the important bits and the parts that i want to keep and mm -hmm. and it's just like it already takes about twice the recording time to edit the podcast and it's going to take twice it maybe three times maybe twice and a half i don't know it's just it's gonna it's gonna be a while it's gonna be, be twice and a half it's gonna be like a six hour recording i mean editing session so i'm just it's daunting so i'm gonna have to sit down and just do it and then get it over with but good thing is is that i've gotten so much better at editing um so that i'm not worried about like i'm worried because it's a little close but i'm not worried about not getting it done because i know i'll get it done anyway we're talking about music today so <laughs> uh i'm really stoked to be back mostly like i I didn't realize how much like I missed it until I got in here and I was like, ah, yes, my favorite part of the week, talking to you. Even though we talk all the time. All the time. Usually I try on recording session days to like not talk to you as we, much as possible. Okay, that's what I was going to say because we're going way off. We need to start. But um, when we had hung out earlier today, when you first showed up at like noon, when you were supposed to meet us at like 10, you were <laughs> so quiet into your... Frank, to be fair, fair, fair Frank, who's um, <laughs> Frank? <laughs> um, to be fair, I was doing homework, and so you were like, we were doing our own things. But you were just so quiet into yourself when you left. I looked at Josh, and I was like, something's wrong with him. Like he's not himself. He wasn't talking to me. He wasn't talking to you. So he's not doing well. <clears throat> also, I was only there for like twenty-five minutes because I had to go to class and then sit there for two hours and do one one point perspective drawing of a hallway um fun <laughs> i mean yeah it is pretty fun it, for art it's like i know i need to nail down these basics but this is the second time I've, I've taken this professor's not this specific class but like this professor and he always starts off the semester the same way in every sort of introductory class and that's with perspective drawing and i'm like i've i've done this three times <laughs> like <I'm, laughs> i know how to draw in perspective um but it's all it's good practice and it's my first big studio piece in perspective I don't typically draw like this is like a, a, a like an 11 or 18 by 24 inch piece. And I don't typically draw pieces that size. So it's really fun to just sort of try this, try my hand at this. But anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Music. Music. Yes. Today's music. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good day, guys. It's going to be, be a good day. day. Um, you are starting because I've listened to and you've edited all of the previous episodes. I have started the past, like, three episodes. I don't know about the past three episodes. I think what happened is that because they were all, like, put out out of order, because we recorded the one that was going to go back first when we came back after we recorded the one that was next coming out. So, like, the superhero one that just came out for the last Friday for mm -hmm. us um, was recorded before the one about like us coming back the one that we said this is the one where we come back with so i had to put them out way out of order so i was like you restarted last time didn't you and then you were like yeah because technically you did start last time that we recorded but not the last episode so two times point really point is at least the past two episodes i have started fine so you're i'll start starting this it's one. not like it's intimidating and i don't want to do it so i put it on you so i don't have to think about it see but i need to work off of you it's it's difficult because you just monopolize the conversation. Not monop yeah, you monopolize it, and you'll get through all of your topics, and then like I start the beginning, then you get through all of yours, and then I finish us out. And I always feel bad finishing us out because I'm like I'm still here, guys. Like, I I still I have, have one more thing. I got content. Please listen. Okay. Uh, I will go first. Yes, we are talking about music, and I would be remiss if I did not talk about Doom and Doom Eternal, the newest version of Doom that was released last year, 2020, in, like, April, May? I don't know. It was released on the same day as uh, uh, Animal Crossing New, Hor uh, New, New Horizons. Yeah, it was released on the same day as uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and it, it, soundtrack is great. So for those of you who don't really know the Doom story, it's a uh, uh, angry guy beats up demons for the fun of it kind of he's basically like trying to save the world from these demon things but the the whole story is a little convoluted i don't quite know it i just play it because it's got a great soundtrack 
and you get to shoot demons with a shotgun, which isn't... Who doesn't love doing that? Right? It's the best. Um, but I want to talk about the, the music, obviously, and the, the, the composer for both Doom 2016, which was the, the reboot of Doom in, uh, on the, the New Age consoles, uh, and Doom Eternal, which was the sequel to the 2016 Doom. Uh, the composer for both of those games, his name is Mick Gordon, and he is... Oh, he's such a brilliant composer. Uh, and I've studied like composers and, and music before because I'm a nerd and I took band for like six years in high school, so I didn't have any choice. Um, and this guy, his way of going about it was so interesting to me because I've never taken a look really at composing music for video games because a lot of the video games that you see now will get cinematic composers like Henry Jackman or... Um, uh, he, he, he did Uncharted 4 and he's also done like some of the Marvel music and it, people will look for more cinematic pieces to bring out a more cinematic experience in the game as a whole uh, but the way that McGordon goes for it is he is writing the music during the production of the game not after the production of the game so typically the flow is you um pretty much kind of complete the game design, which is how the levels are going to play out and how the story progresses and such. And then you're like, okay, composer, come in, write music for these scenes. Um, what happens in Doom is that uh, Mick Gordon was creating the music alongside the game designers and would give them music in pieces uh, while they were creating the levels. And so they used the music um, and sometimes had it guide the level design as well. It was sort of back and forth. A little bit uh which is a really interesting way of doing it and the reason that i think he's so brilliant is is i listened to a short little little interview uh, with him about his writing for doom eternal and i watched a little mini documentary about some of his work for doom and doom eternal that bethesda put out uh, bethesda being the publisher of doom and doom eternal and his approach for it is yes that you could qualify the music as metal but when he was writing it, he didn't want to genre the music. He didn't want to put the music in a genre because he said something along the lines of sort of constrains you to the pieces and bits about those genres that are particular. And genres are different to every single person, you know? So, like, he said that metal could be, to one person, like, early 2001's metal. So to some people, it could be prog rock. It could be alternative metal. It could be um, really old, like... 90s like uh acdc kind of stuff mm -hmm. and so he didn't want to say hey i'm writing a metal track for all of these he said hey i'm writing music for all of these and i really kind of respect that thought process because it allows you to be more creative and and problem solving along the way in his process he's a, he composed it by himself he the for the original doom it was just him and he was writing all of the music and he was performing all the music and uh it Mick Gordon, when he was writing the the new pieces, he took inspiration from the original Doom soundtrack and uh, sort of tried to re-implement it. So there's this specific riff in the original Doom soundtrack that um, is very iconic to the Doom series. And so he took that riff and he basically dropped it down a little bit to a lower register on the guitar. And then he was like, well, that doesn't sound quite right. So then he went out and got a nine-string guitar and then played it on the nine-string guitar with, like, freaking strings as thick as my pinky, and he, he was playing it on that, and then he implemented that sound into the soundtrack as uh, sort of a piece. Um, one of the big things that I wanted to talk about with, with his development of the music in Doom Eternal specifically was his ingenuity. Like, he was really, really smart about the way that he did things, and he, he wasn't held back he didn't feel held back or i don't feel like he was held back by like constraints of like what is okay to put in music and what is not okay because uh there are certain tracks i think there's one track in doom eternal that literally has a chainsaw as a kick drum like an, that's pretty cool yeah he used an idling of a chainsaw as part of the beat and if that doesn't fit like the doom vibe, then nothing does. <laughs> like, um, the music is is it, it engages you because the point of of music in a video game is to spur the moment, bring you into the game, and, and sort of help with the immersion. 
Um, game with poor music, their sound design doesn't really do that as well as other games. But let me tell you, this game does an amazing job of using its soundtrack to really bring you into the moment. Well, that's what music is supposed to do in general. Like even in films or and other things that have music, it's supposed to draw you in and bring you into the world that you are playing or watching. And we're taught this, that if your audio, if your music is bad, it can ruin your media. It doesn't matter how good your shots are, how good your design is in a video game. If you don't have good music or good sound, it's going to, to ruin it. Mm -hmm. And one thing he talked about was um, you don't want your music in a video game to be overpowered by the, the game's noise, but you also don't want to overpower the game with the music. And so he did a lot of work with, um, during the, the battle scenes and the fighting in Doom, it's very action-packed, quick, and moving like at 100 miles an hour, jumping all over the place and shooting and switching weapons really fast. And so he used the, like, sort of the idea of, well, the gun's going to be making noises, the boot steps are going to be making noises, like all these sounds are going on, but it can't be this big orchestral moment and it can't be long and drawn out notes because that's just going to get drowned out by all the shooting and stuff. And so he opted for a quicker, more fast-paced beat, something with drums constantly going on that's driving the player's force as well as driving the music along. And it feels very natural. And when I played the game... Um, I've been playing it this week uh, a lot. I've been, that's pretty much all I've played this week. And it it feels like it like it fits. You know, it doesn't feel... Like, the music very well complements the, the play style of the game to a point. And it, it feels very natural to be listening to the music. And the, the switches between the ambient music, which is sort of like exploration mode, um, and the actual music, it, it, it feels smooth. You know, it doesn't feel forced. Some games feel very forced, and his way of doing that is just having, um, like, good sound design and and you know leveling out these things really well and uh, just being a smart composer. Oh, another thing I wanted to talk about. Last thing with Doom is, uh, for Doom Eternal, there's this epic moment. He wanted to have the the producer said he wanted to have like like a chant going on at one point, because um, he's like, I need a chant. I need some kind of chant. It's got to be in some ancient language, and uh, McGordon was like, well, you know, a regular choir isn't really going to fit this kind of vibe that, that Doom goes for, you know, it doesn't fit, like, you wouldn't want a regular choir to be singing during, while you're shooting up demons, um, and so he opted for putting out an open source call for, like, metal screamers, and he made a choir of, like, 20 male and female metal singers and it is the coolest oh yeah thing. i imagine it sounds so ridiculously awesome uh -huh. like i can't even describe how it sounds you just have to listen to it and sadly like this specific this album for doom eternal isn't out on like you know you can find it on youtube but you can't really find it on like itunes, iTunes or, or, or spotify or anything not that i know of and it sounds just so ridiculously awesome because it's just it's it's like they're chanting, but they're they're, they're their voices, their their voices are so cool. How do you get your voice to do that? Um, and they also had this like Mongolian throat singer that was metal, yeah, a metal Mongolian throat singer that was singing and a couple of the tracks, and it's just, that's amazing. Throat so singers cool. are freaking. It, it was it just blo it blows my mind, like just the talent and and the way that he went about it, and it it just it feels. So it so well fits the tone oh, of the yeah. game. Like it, it, it really it fits the mood and it, and it really gets you going because you're fighting this giant champion like demon at the time and um like it's a difficult fight and it's just like it, everything fits in that moment. It all clicks together and you're just like really enjoying your time. Is it enjoying your time or just like the the screaming? Because I imagine in my head all I'm hearing is screaming, but I know it's probably it's like it's more musical than that. But does it build like anxiety or is it no, just, it just like you're it, this? Is it incredible? It's just well, you know, the point of Doom, and some people might disagree, but the point of Doom is really just like it's a hack and slash, and it is over the top in all of the best ways. <laughs> you know, it's specifically designed to be kind of over the top in its violence, mm -hmm. and it's just it's like a like a teenage boy's wet dream. Like it is just so violent and and purposefully violent and and fun and 
and exciting and every and it's so well designed because every single thing can be done a different way you know like you have these things called glory kills uh, where you basically punch a demon to death you know to get back health um and there's like 20 different enemies every single one has like four or five unique different kills and it's it feels the game feels and plays really really smoothly and it's just, everything about it just sort of complements that style of music and it and then that moment when i was playing and i was like this is like this is the game like this is one of the best examples of like well composed music put inside of a game and music that was composed like specifically for this kind of game it just fits and it, it's so enjoyably enjoyably brutal moving on i'm gonna go you're gonna go i'm gonna stop Dude, you. you're gonna stop we're me. gonna go back and forth back this and time forth. Okay? okay hit me hit we're me. gonna do this okay i'm sad because i wanted to play a game where i played i told you that i played a little bit of music and then you guess um but instead let's do this because I, I did this i tested this out with some of my other friends and so i want you to think so i set out this week to try and figure out what makes music iconic and what about music in films makes it really rememberable and or memorable not rememberable i was gonna say i don't know if you want me to correct you or not <laughs> makes it really memorable to to this day so i want you to sit there and think for a second what are some movies or series that are very like the music just really sticks out for you here's the thing so i've got a couple off the top of my head okay. right star wars yeah number one um and then i was gonna say like pirates of the caribbean okay um, but one that I know sticks out, but I can't remember the tune of is Back to the Future. Okay. You know, I, I definitely remember being like, oh, yeah, the Back to the Future. Theme. Like, if I heard it, I'd be like, oh, that's the Back to the Future theme. Mm -hmm. But, like, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, so those those three would be really big ones. But it's typically, like, for me, I would say older movies mm -hmm. have more memorable themes. Mm -hmm. um, I have a reason for that. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, for the most part, it's just, it, yeah, those three movies, I think, have the have probably the, the stick out the most in my mind. It's very interesting because the people that I asked also came up with those. But then when I mentioned these next ones, they're like, oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, what about E.T.? Can you think of the theme Bro, for I've e. seen E.T. once. Really? Yeah, when I was like 10. Oh, man. I haven't okay. watched it in so long. What about Jaws? Yeah, oh, of course, Jaws. Yeah. Jaws. Okay, what about, um, I have it written here, but what's the actual name of it called? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana yeah. Jones. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, totally. Jurassic Park. Oh, how could one forget Jurassic Park? Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yep. So, all of these movies that I just mentioned, sadly not Back to the Future and the other one that you mentioned, all of these films have the same composer. Yeah, I knew that, actually. I did. John Williams. John Williams. He's uh, one of the most brilliant, brilliant cinematic composers of yeah. our time. And it, it blows me away. Like, you see him on everything. Every single thing. <laughs> Literally. And I think the he really got his big start with Star Wars, even though before that he had worked on Jaws. I think Jaws is one of the first big ones that occurred for him. I He's just, he's so great. And so I specifically want to talk about Star Wars because that's what I did all of my research on. And that, when I was trying to think of music, that's the first thing that came to my head. Like, same for you. Star Wars was the first thing that came to your head and for other people, Star Wars as well. And so... What makes it memorable was what I was trying to go after. And so I did a little bit of research and what I figured out was the themes, the motifs, and the world building are what made it very memorable. There, Back then, films were slower paced, or at least the original Star Wars were uh, a lot slower paced than they are today. And so this allowed him to really take his time and compose long themes and motifs that would eventually rise into an emotional climax and then resolve at the end. But today, they don't really do that anymore. So John Williams was the composer for the first couple of Star Wars, for all of the Star Wars, even the most recent ones that came out, 7, 8, and 9. But for those, he had to change his style, and he had to make his motifs and themes a lot shorter because the director was different, because it was directed by J.J. Uh, Abrams, whose style and pacing of films was a lot more faster. And so if I were to ask you, can you think of a, a theme or a motif or a song from one of the recent Star Wars films? Can you think of one? I I can't, like, remember the tune, but I can definitely think of, like, 
and this is probably because I downloaded like the soundtrack mm-hmm. for those movies, but I can definitely think of like the theme for the resistance was one of my favorites. Um, and then Kylo Ren's theme, but like you never hear it that often. It's not as iconic as Darth Vader's theme. Yeah. So, and it's, and I think that has to do with it being shorter. Honestly, I do because it's more of a repetition now. And the, uh, specifically that I was figuring out was with, Ray, that's her name, right? Yeah. I've only seen the new ones once. <laughs> uh, but her theme, because you know every character has a, a theme or a motif that plays when they come on screen, which is a really common thing to happen in musicals and films so that you know when this character is appearing and how this character is feeling because maybe they'll play it in a higher key or in a lower key or they'll speed it up or they'll slow it down. So it really helps you understand how the character is feeling. But for hers, it's only like five notes repeated over and over again. Wow. Darth Vader or some of the other ones are a lot longer and with those longer ones again you can have an emotional climax and a resolve and so through this he's telling a story which I think is so interesting and it makes sense when you think about it but I had never thought about it before honestly telling music or honestly telling a story through music and I went back and I rewatched the first Star Wars film and it's there from the very beginning. The first five minutes of the star of the first of uh, A New Hope is just music, and it's brilliant. And you get so much in those first five minutes. I, when I rewatched it, I was really hoping that it was going to go through all of the kind of motifs throughout the film because that would have been really interesting to have like a pre-story before the actual story. But they didn't do that. But I, it, it's still interesting to have that such a big gap at the very beginning where there's no dialogue and just music playing. And, but you, you see stormtroopers, I think, run around for a bit, and you're on the... the, the yeah, on the, the rebel ship, and yeah. then Darth Vader comes in. and His um, music plays, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. I always did like Darth Vader's theme. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's such a great piece. It's it just that, that march sort of tempo... Um, what is it? It's just, ah, oh, it's so good. And then learning like his backstory, and then hearing the themes appear in other pieces, um, throughout the series, and like you said, like a motif. Like mm-hmm. it's so, it's so iconic nowadays that we sometimes forget like how good of a piece it is. But I think, and that's what I was trying to figure out was what made it iconic. I think because it was a longer theme because you could have that emotional climax. And it was, and it brings up this question that I thought of only after I had finished all my research, research about repetition. It's, it's hard to explain because, like I was saying with the newer ones, they're shorter motifs and they're repeated a lot. And so, you again, they're not really memorable, but in these older films, they had longer themes but they played them over and over again. Like even when there's dialogue and people are talking, there's still that it's played very low underneath the entire movie. So he creates musical subcultures and he's really good at creating musical onomatopoeias as well. Onomatopoeias. That is my favorite word, onomatopoeias. Say it again. Onomatopoeias. Nice. Do you know what it means? Yeah, it's a, it's a word that sounds like a sound. Yeah, but he does it musically. So he makes an image, he makes a sound out of an image. And so there's a couple of examples when like something blows up, the music that plays matches what you see on screen. So if it's a huge explosion, there's a lot of bass and drums and all of these things. And then when you see like the little sparkles of like the the explosion, it goes into the flutes and into the strings and it it just matches. And I think that's so beautiful that you can make music that sounds like an image. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I'm going to move on to my next thing. Go ahead. Nice. I like this little back and forth we got going here. My next thing is um, possibly one of the greatest games of the 21st century of the past decade, I would say. Uh, Nier Automata, which I don't think I've, I've never even mentioned it on this podcast. And I don't know why, because I love the game and it's so great. But I'm going to mention it now. So the composer was, um, I'm going to butcher this. Keiichi Okabe. Uh, that was pretty good, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, Keiichi Okabe, uh, alongside uh, a bunch of other people. It wasn't just him. It was a joint effort between him and a lot of other people. So Nier Tamada is a sequel, you could say, to Nier, the original Nier. Um, and the I want to talk about the original Nier for a bit because this is 
relevant to the Nier Automata soundtrack. So, um, Nier, the original Nier, which I've never played, I will admit wholeheartedly, I've never played it. So when they were composing uh, the music for the original Nier, they found a vocalist named Emmy Evans, uh, and she was told to create all of the, the vocal lines for these pieces and to come up with the, like the, the vocal parts. But when they told her that, they didn't want the music to feel like it was, like I said earlier, like overpowering parts of the of of the of the game. Like if other characters were talking or having dialogue or um, if anything was happening, um, they didn't want to take, they didn't want to draw the focus away or cause emotions, unwanted emotions through the lyrics of the music. So what she did is she studied, um, she already knew three languages, right? Then she went and studied multiple other languages and sort of amalgamated those languages into a new one. And then at one point even created an entirely new language of which she used um, to write some of these pieces. And it is one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever had playing a game because it feels both nostalgic and foreign at the same time when you listen to it. Because you're listening to some of these pieces um, and Nier Automata as well, they, they had the same vocalist come back and redo the vocals alongside, I believe, two other vocalists. Um, and it's so strange because there are moments when you're listening to the music when you feel like you can almost understand what they're trying to say, but you just can't. Like you, you, you get a little bit of French in there every once in a while, um, and you, you, you hear some English pieces, um, but it's like you can never quite put them all together in a way that makes sense or like feels like it should make sense. And it's such an interesting, interesting feeling to me at least when I go through because there's so many songs um, and the way that the music is is written for this game is it's got what's called kind of adaptive music. So there's a piece, right? And it starts with this foundational piece. So say you're in the world and you're just exploring and nothing's happening. Like you're just walking around an empty place. It's just this sort of baseline intro piece that loops. Well, then say you find one enemy, then it's going to go into this next part of the piece and it's going to layer on top of the original part and it's going to have a new piece to it. So now you've got something added to that to add to the emotional attention of the of whatever you're doing. Well, then say maybe you're fighting multiple enemies and you're kind of surrounded. Well, then it adds on even another piece on top of that. And it just goes on and so forth for however many layers that this uh, piece has. And it drives a large portion of the emotional impact on the game. That's specifically that those these these musical choices. Um, because what sticks out to me when I'm playing the game is not necessarily the plot or what's going on. Because when I played the game the first time through, after I completed it, I sort of took some time off and played some other games and did some other things. But like what stuck with me wasn't like the moments of the game that were supposed to be the big moments, like the big boss fights or whatever. What stuck with me was just sort of exploring the world and listening to that music and the way the music made me feel as a, a viewer of this world. It's just they, they put so much thought into the music, thought that I wouldn't have ever really dreamt of putting in when it comes to this kind of stuff no so yeah composers are absolutely in i think all artists are insane it's the no matter what you're talking about a director or a composer or a painter that so much thought goes into their mediums that you would never even notice if you didn't ask them about it or thought out other research to, to figure it out it's incredible the amount of detail that they put into it mm-hmm I read a article written by one of the producers of the music, uh, one of the producers on that team. I don't know if it was Keiichi Okabe or, or someone uh, else on the team, but he was talking about how when there are sections of the game where you can hack, because you're playing as these robots, and then you play the story through as one character, then you play through it again as a, as a different character. Um, and one of these characters has the ability to hack things. And so when you go into hacking, it kind of drops you into this, um, man, I didn't even explain what the story is of this game. I'm going to do that. Yeah, you said you needed to first explain the original before yeah. you could get into the new one. 
Well, I meant the music. So basically, none of that was relevant to like scratch this that. Story. <laughs> no, it's not scratch. I could keep it in probably. I don't want to say it all again. Probably. <laughs> um. The the story is, it's like twenty five sixty A.D. Um, and the human race has moved to the moon. Uh, because of these aliens that have brought along these sentient robots that are basically like controlling the earth as of the time being. So this division called the Yorha, which is a group of androids created for the sole purpose of taking back the earth, uh, is sending down a unit named 2B along with her companion 9S um, to sort of gauge a, a specific situation. And as time goes on, you find out that not everything is as it seems as in everything. Nothing is as it seems. Um, but uh, one of the characters that you play as is 9S. You can play as him for a while and he has the ability to hack into things. And when you begin hacking into things, there's a little sound effect that plays and it starts bit crushing the music that you're listening to until you make it into as a successful hack, you make it into the world of the hacking world, which is sort of like this top-down, like, asteroid-type game. Mm -hmm. you, you know asteroids? Yeah. Um, it, it plays a lot kind of like that. And um, the music, they took the actual scores. They didn't just re-score it as an 8-bit. They took the actual scores, bit-crushed the scores, and then cleaned it up, and then put it back in on top, wow. on top of the original score. And they layered it so that it sounds good like i don't know how to put it like it's so there's like three layers they to made it. it bad but it sounds good so they have the bit crushing which is the initial layer and then so say they didn't do all the work to completely bit crush and re clean it up and stuff and put it back in so then they would have the bit crushed version on top of the original version just as it is if they went even further with it like for certain boss fights they have the bit crushed version and a cleaned up bit crushed version stacked on top of each other so it's just 8-bit so all you're hearing is 8-bit um, so it's so interesting and intriguing. And then once you get out of the world, it goes back to the regular music and you're back in the real world. And it's such a, so it's again, it's world building. Yeah. It's yeah. 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 Different music in different places. It just, it, it, it's just great. It's so great. And one of the things about Nier is that it is a total genre binding. Like it brings in elements from top down shooters, from side scroller platforming shooters, from 3D RPG style combat systems. Um, it is such an amalgamation of different styles and different genres of games, it, but it works and it all fits together. And the music really does reflect like a lot of how well this fits together, like the thought process behind it. And it's just, it's a beautiful game. It does not get enough praise. I feel like it's very under-noticed. I've never heard of it. Yeah, and that's surprising to me. It won Game of the Year the year it came out. When 20, did it? 2017, 2018. Oh, recent, and I haven't heard of it. No, so. it's 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 crazy. It's got a bunch of DLC. It's got all of this stuff. It's It, it drives me crazy that not enough people have heard of it. You know, it won Game of the Year, but no one seems to know about it. And it's just, it's so, it's so brilliant how well the music... Um, it turns relatively uninteresting moments into emotional experiences. Oh, yeah. And that's what really, for me, is the driving point behind that game. Because every single piece is interesting. It's There's not a moment in the game where I'm like, man, this song doesn't really sound that great. Or like, I'm not actively enjoying the music that's mm -hmm. playing in the background. So that that's it's just... I don't know what to say. Like, it, I'm just at a loss for words. It's just such a well-designed soundtrack that fits such a beautifully designed game, and it com they complement each other so well. It's it's very obvious that everyone in that team, both teams, they they knew what they were doing, and they were passionate about their their part of the media, and they were passionate about the story they were telling. Mm -hmm. And like we always say, like you can tell. When there's passion behind a project, and in this game, you can you can Easily see it. Easily, you can tell it is burning with passion. But let me ask you this: so, when you're actually playing it, do you do you notice the music? I mean, I'm assuming you do because you just you have a very analytical mind, and so I'm assuming that you you just notice the music 
without any forethought. But usually when you notice something in a video game or notice something in a film, it means it's not working. It means you're, you're slowly being brought out of the immersion of it. So if you suddenly like think of the, the camera movements or if you think of the, like, the set looks weird or if the acting's weird, then you're slowly being brought out of it. So I'm just wondering if the music, are you actively thinking of it? I know it's not because it doesn't fit. Because it does fit. You're, you've said it multiple times that it just works so perfectly. But are you looking at the music from an, just an analytical standpoint that it fits so well? That's why you notice it? Or is there something like, what do you think? So part of it is they use um, diegetic sound in the music. Oh, okay. So they'll have, there's some bits during a boss battle where you're fighting this um, operetta style machine who like is, is just wanting to be beautiful, right? Um, and so she, the song starts with her singing a giant note, right? And then it moves into the non-diegetic music. Um, we've mentioned before diegetic and non-diegetic. Diegetic is music or sound that you hear in the game, like the characters are going to hear. Non-diegetic is stuff that the audience that's hears. playing or mm -hmm. viewing the media hears. There's another moment when you're fighting a shit ton of robots, um, all at once and they're all screaming at you like this cannot continue because they're like trying to have a revolution or something um, they're all saying this cannot continue and then the music turns into this beat with the main sort of beat being them saying this cannot continue mm -hmm. and so it, it's very purposeful how the music blends with the game and this game is no stranger to sort of breaking the fourth wall there's 26 endings to this game oh that's awesome 20 one for every letter in the alphabet it's insane yeah, there's 26 letters in the alphabet. There's not 27? I don't know. I thought I know it's 26 there, or 27. Tw Am I wrong? Are you are you there What's the 27th letter of the alphabet? I don't know. I just Do you want me to no, count them out right now? No, I want you to tell me what you think the 27th letter of the alphabet is. Z? Is there not I know it's either 26 or 27. <laughs> I Okay, well then what's the what's the 13th? You're gonna make me count it out, aren't I'm gonna you? I'm gonna make you count it out. How many letters in the alphabet? Sing the alphabet song. A B C. No, we can't. We can't cover it. Dang it. <laughs> Randy, are you? This isn't a bit. Is this a bit? Are you trying to make? Are you trying to make no, this a bit? No, I just counted twenty-three. <laughs> Something's wrong. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> okay, there's twenty-six. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, there's twenty-six. I knew that. You, There's 26. I knew that. I was checking to see if you knew that. I was that. making sure that you knew yeah, that. Yeah, I knew that. I, I knew yeah. it. I definitely knew it. And you didn't. And I'm never letting this go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. You're... Okay, it's my turn. <laughs> no, it's not. It's no, my turn. I'm not done. Oh, okay. There's an ending for every... Uh, like I was saying, this game is no stranger for breaking the fourth wall. There's, an, there's 20, 26 as many letters as there are in the alphabet. Yes, I confirm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't indeed confirm that, that there is that I concur. many. <laughs> um, and some of them are joke endings. Like a bunch of them are joke endings. If you're going to have 26 endings, you can't all be serious. Um, one of them is if you eat a fish that someone found, then you die and the game ends. And I did that on my first playthrough. Because I didn't know. Because I didn't know this was going to happen. And I was just like, oh, it's a fish. I'm going to eat the fish. And I went and I ate the fish. And then the credits rolled. And I was like, I what? I won the game. <laughs> I was like, I beat it. Oh, man, what a speed run. <laughs> it was so, it's just, you know, the, but, but like I said, it's not, they're not a stranger to sort of breaking that fourth wall, even with their music. Okay. Like, it, everything about the game is purposeful and it's meant to be noticed. You know, it's meant to, you're meant to see the kind of detail that they put yeah, in. Yeah, okay. So that's what I would say about the game. Now you can talk about your thing. Okay, it's my uh, Is your thing, by any chance, the 27th letter of the alphabet? <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> you will bail with me. I don't know. <laughs> Looks like someone found the episode title. <laughs> What's the 27th letter of the alphabet? <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't uh, die over oh, there. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm, don't yeah. die. Oh, I just you... smacked it. I know you smack at the mic. I yeah. smack, smack at the mic. You okay. were British there for a second. I was British and yeah, you were British. You were British. You that were, was oh, not smack at the mic. I smack at the mic. Yeah, smack at the mic. <laughs> I smack the mic. It's like, it sounds like you're hitting your friend named Mike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I smacked Mike. I smacked Mike. 
My. <laughs> what is that from? Do you know what that's from? My. My. Mine? That's Mine. from Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. Nemo. You know what else is in Nemo? What? 27th letter of the F. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is Hamilton. Hamilton, really? Yeah. I was I I didn't expect you to go this route. Really? Really? Yeah. No. I mean, I guess it is technically like I a, mean, a movie, but it's more of a it's a musical at heart. Well, so I didn't. That's the thing is we talk about media, and so I didn't want to just stick to films. Mm -hmm. I wanted to branch out. I mean, because there's also musicals, and then there's movie musicals mm -hmm. that we won't have time to talk about today. But I do want to talk about Hamilton, and I hope I do it justice. Because there is so much packed into this two-hour show. I think it's almost longer, two and, and fifteen, two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. It's super long, and it's just so well-written, and I hope that I can explain it eloquently and do it justice. So here is my attempt. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be good. Here I go. <laughs> um, so it was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. I immediately love him because he has the same name as me and he goes by old man miranda and i've always dreamed of one day meeting him and being like old man miranda it's young woman miranda what's up and then he'll be like who the heck are you who the heck are you <laughs> <laughs> i love him but so he started writing this um a while ago i think it came out in 2016 and it took him six years to write so after writing it for two years he had two songs done can what you imagine a, working for two years and having two songs done? What a mood. Yeah. Like, just really, like, oh, just two songs in two years? Yeah. And then being like, this is my passion project. <laughs> it's not quite there yet. I mean, but and, and that's okay. Like, it, sometimes it takes a while to start oh, up a, a, oh, absolutely. A, a project. And it's not that, obviously, because it took two years to write two songs, he was putting in the effort. Like, he wasn't just letting it slide by. He wasn't like, okay, this song is just done. The amount of thought that went into these songs is so amazing so i don't know the technical term for it but it is a all the way through musical so it, they're constantly singing the entire time and the songs bleed into each other so there's mm -hmm. no like clear ending of a song and beginning of a song it all goes in one yeah, shot I'm basically not, i'm not sure of the name of, i'm not a musical person. i know there's a name for it mm -hmm. and our, our friend is going to get very mad at us he's already screaming at us mm -hmm. because we don't know the name of it anyways um, so to tie this in with what I was talking about Star Wars, a big thing and why I think it, Hamilton was so big and memorable because now it's been out for four years and people still are obsessed with it is again, the themes that are played throughout it. Again, the are longer themes and not really like short motifs or even cells. So cells is like even a shorter part of a motif. Actually, I would argue that there are quite a, quite a few motifs that are extremely short. Really? Yeah, like the um the Eliza motif, you know, the Eliza. Just that little that little bit is used every time she's on stage. That's true. There there's a lot of motifs that go into that, but there's also a lot of bigger motifs that tie along. So it was very well written because like there's little cells, there's little motifs, and then there's big old motifs that mm -hmm. like tie into the whole thing yeah. and that's that's it's brilliant it's just it's really really well written anyway so burr has this little theme that plays anytime he's about to give exposition or yeah exposition explain the next thing that's going to happen or what previously happened which i never realized before and i hate to say it because i feel like it makes me sound like i don't really pay attention to things which i guess i, I don't really i mean when it comes to movies well, i do yeah, especially the alphabet stop okay but again each of these characters have their own little motif or theme that plays before they start singing or before they start speaking so you know who's about to come on stage and that bird's about to give exposition or the sad eliza song you know that she's going to be sad and it plays oh i think the the sad eliza theme this is what i'm gonna keep calling it is it plays three times, and it plays every time she loses somebody. But the last time that it plays, it changes because, spoilers, if you haven't listened to Hamilton, go listen to it. It's incredible. But at the very end, before Hamilton dies... Uh, what? What? <laughs> before he goes off to his duel, um, she sings in that key again, but it's, it's like, reversed. It's flipped on its head. I can't remember the word for it, 
but I can see it in my head where all the notes are like pointing up and then the reverse is all the notes are pointing down. It's inverted. Down. It's inverted. Yeah. Why do you know so much about music? Uh, cause I took band for six years and I almost went into state. I almost went the... into state. Yes, I was <laughs> a very good saxophone player. There's also the motif that are there's so there's musical motifs and lyrical motifs. So specifically with notes or with lyrics. And so one of the lyrics ones is look around, look around. Mm -hmm. And this one I love because it is sung throughout the entire Eliza and Hamilton relationship. From the very moment that they meet each other, it is said, look around, look around, how wonderful uh, we are to be alive right now. And throughout their story, when they get mad at each other or when they fall back in love or when she's trying to convince him to stay, all these different things, they, they say those words over and over again. And first, it's her saying it to him, trying to get him to stay with her and not go off to war and not do all of these big things because they just want to. she wants to live a simple life. But in the middle of that, he turns it around on her and starts using it at her. Like, how? look around. I have to go do something. I can't just stay here. And I love it. I love that it... it I didn't notice it, but it's brilliant that he turned it around on her. It's like an actual something that you see in real life when people are arguing, when a couple is arguing, they turn it around on them. Like, you said this to me, but now, like, who's the one in the wrong? So these motifs are, are played over and over again, and or themes. I keep going back and forth. Motifs are shorter than themes, but it, it's the same thing. It's repeated ideas and uh, melodies, harmonies, melodies. But they're they're played over and over throughout the the whole musical and I wonder if that's why it led to it being so good and it goes back to my idea is repetition really that important in making something iconic because when you think of pop songs they are very repetitive and they get stuck in your head and just put that on a bigger level with a movie or a musical where not only are you listening to the lyrics for three minutes you're listening to the lyrics for two hours I don't know it's just something that I thought about is is rep do you think repetition is something that's like impactful or makes uh, it helps um, music to be iconic or I, memorable? I don't know if iconic is the word because when I think of iconic, I think of things that have stood the test of time. Okay. Um, I think it. Well, we don't it, know if Hamilton will stand. It's only been four years. I think, I think it's probably going to become iconic. Mm -hmm. um, personally, and everyone always gives me shit for this when I say it. I am not the biggest fan of Hamilton. Um, I feel Explain. like I feel like it was hyped up way too much. Everyone listened to it for three years. Everyone listened to it. Every I'm not kidding. I was in I was in like the 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 theater group in my high school, and all they did, all they did was listen to that music. So I knew the soundtrack backwards and forwards against my own will. Um, and I was a nervous little wreck who couldn't deal with his own anxiety. So loud noises scared me. I, it was just super hyped up, and I and when I went and watched it finally after a couple years, um, I watched it and I was like, "This is just a good music. It's just a good. I mean, it's not bad by any stretch of the. It's a really well written musical. It's really good. I just I personally, <laughs> it's not for me. It's just not for me. Okay, and, and that's fine. It's like I just hope that you can still appreciate. Oh, it. Oh, I appreciate it. Okay, it's very well written. I just. It's. I think part of it is because it's hip hop style. I'm not a huge fan. But of But I that think that's style. what made it so great is because again, I don't know much about musicals, and our friend is going to get very mad at us that we didn't invite him onto this episode of the podcast. But it that was something I feel like that was very new. It was for a musical. To, and he Lin Manuel Miranda was really inspired by hip hop artists. I can't remember the names. Big B I G. He's yeah. a hip hop guy. Yeah. Very inspired by him um, and other rappers, and even took inspiration for from um, the British invasion with King George. Do you notice how King George? Sorry, I'm gonna get back on my topic. King George, he is completely removed from the musical. Yeah. Like his music is completely different yeah, than yeah, the yeah. rest of it. Yeah, it's because brilliant. he's literally in a different place. He's literally speaking a different language than them because they're doing hip hop rap pop music he's doing old classic like yeah. british invasion music they literally two different languages it's like um his music is more like uh like poppy mm -hmm. right more preppy mm -hmm. he and oh man jonathan groff is hilarious hilarious he's so funny yeah if you have a if you have disney plus or you can find a copy of the one that's up on disney plus with the original cast of hamilton i would recommend watching that one 
um, just for Jonathan Croft. No, he's hilarious. He's so, so funny, and he does such a good job. Everyone does such a good job in that musical. The next thing that I want to talk about, so themes and the connections between the music and what is actually being said. So specifically in the song Ten Dual Commandments, it's about, for those who haven't listened to it, I'm sorry, I'm going to reference a lot of songs, and so please go listen to it if you haven't, and then what I'm about to explain will make a lot more sense. But Ten Dual Commandments is explaining the rules of a duel, but in that song, so it's a it's a tutorial, he's saying, okay, step one, you do this, step two, you do this. In that, the music that he uses to express that is very rigid and is very hard because it's going step by step, like a tutorial does. It goes step by step. I think that's so cool. The connections that you make between music and what is actually being said. Mm-hmm. And you, I never noticed that before, but when I go back and listen to it now, yeah, it's exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Just composers, like composers that know what they're doing, they just stand like leagues above, mm-hmm. just leagues above composers that like kind of know what they're doing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of composers out there, like like billions. It's got to be like billions. There's not Well, billion there's billions composers. of people. Okay, fine. Maybe there's there's... 7 billion people. You're telling me one seventh? One in seven people is a composer? Are you telling me there's 27 letters in the, the alphabet? alphabet? Ah! <laughs> I was really confused for a second. Yeah, it was longer than a second. Okay, anyways, next thing. (laughs) But it's just so amazing that that much thought, and it goes back to what we keep saying, I feel like in every episode, when you're really passionate about a project, when your heart and soul is really into it, and you do all of that pre-production and all the prep work, it really shows through. And I think that's what, maybe that's the answer that I've come to about what makes music iconic, what makes a, a music soundtrack memorable, is its preparation, its ability to bring you into the world, bring you into the story it's trying to tell, and leave you feeling something. Because you feel for these characters. It's not just you're sitting there and you're a passive listener. You're actively engaged in it, and you feel sorry for these characters. In Star Wars, you feel like you're in this world and you're battling with them. When the tension rises, your tension, you're freaking out because the music is lifting you up there. And Hamilton does the exact same thing with climaxes and resolutions. I think that that um, if me, if the music can tell the story just as well as the dialogue, then I think that you have good pieces of music. Yeah. Um, and I think that when it comes to like gaming music, if the music, um, if the music brings you in as a player and it sort of includes you, you know, if music is thought out, um, it, and it just doesn't overpower you and it doesn't overtake the game if 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 it's well balanced if it feels well balanced i think that's what makes game music sort of iconic and, and useful as a tool in your in your gaming and that's the same thing within movies because i'm i'm thinking i've never thought of that until you mentioned it mentioned it but it's true that you need this balance between dialogue and music like again in star wars the music is played throughout the entire film but it's played on a very low where you almost can't hear it but it's still there and it's still building this tension around the scene that it's in and it just it it's very hard and i can't even imagine I can see it being easier in a film because you really get control over the dialogue and the music and you can control the sound levels and things like that. But when it comes into a musical where you're actively live mixing in dialogue and music at the same time, how complicated it can get. All right, let's scoot on to those recommendations. Wrap yes. this bad boy up. Mine, my recommendation is going to be, I mentioned it before, I will mention it again, Shovel Knight. I love Shovel Knight. Um, music is composed by Jake Kaufman, uh, all 8-bit. Uh, it is one of the uh, most definitive like soundtracks that I've heard. It's so well-produced and created. It makes so the, the bit in Shovel Knight is your night that wields a shovel. Said it before. Um, Have you recommended this movie or this um, this movie, this video game before? Probably. Why? Uh, we got to do new stuff, Taylor. Uh, no, go ahead. Just go. Ahead. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
water. Fire, I do not understand. <laughs> uh, no, it's so great because the, the music in the game, like we were saying, it tells the story on its own. Every, there's like 12, no, like eight, eight to 10 different characters, right? And every character's got their own theme. Every area has its own theme. Um, and it's just, it's so, the motifs that he carries through, not only within level to boss themes, but within the main themes to the ending themes. And, um, the, there's this piece where, yeah, the Shovel Knight is dreaming because he's lost a loved one. He's dreaming about catching her from falling from a high place because she died falling from off of this giant tower. Um, and so the piece that plays during that is it, yes, it's eight bit. But it is so melodic and it is so gut-wrenchingly emotional as a piece itself that, like, it just adds so much more to the story, you know? So much more that you just... Because the characters, they don't talk. There's no vo voice acting. There's just dialogue that you're reading. And in most of the game, there's not dialogue at all. And so to be able to tell this story and these emotions through those pieces, even in 8-bit, blows my mind. So, yeah, go play Shovel Knight. Play it. Uh, I don't know if I re recommended it before, but if I did, uh, screw past Taylor. Present Taylor says, this is the one you want. <laughs> okay, I'm going to recommend Singing in the Rain. Because I got to talk about a movie. I got to talk about a musical. This is a movie and a musical move. Put it together. Dude, you, 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 one, and one makes two. Two. I wanted to and talk you know about it. <laughs> 13 and 14 makes 27. Stop. The joke's gotten old. Yeah, I know. Uh, it is my sole purpose in life to annoy someone, but I'm also, like, ridiculously afraid of hurting someone's feelings. So it's a very thin line that I tightrope walk. All the time. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. But I'm going to recommend Singing in the Rain. I've, I've, I have to say, I have to be honest with you guys, I've seen it once. And I saw it last semester. I saw it last year. But it was incredible. It was incredible, and the there's so many scenes and so many songs that have just been retold and are still, trust me, if you've never seen it, you will watch it and you'll be like, oh, I've heard that before. I've heard, I've seen that before because so many people have used it as inspiration and retold the story and it's just brilliant and I tried to figure out what makes the songs in it so good and I think it's because they're so original and because the cast that they hired for the film was very new to the world of, of music and um, dancing and performance and things like that so there's a sort of innocence that comes with it and this sort of like joyfulness that comes out of it doing something completely new that you love and that you've worked hard for because the film has a lot of choreography throughout it they are constantly not breaking the fourth wall, but they're going back and forth between just a normal movie and then suddenly breaking out into song. And sometimes it makes sense because sometimes it's a memory and they're performing on stage. And then sometimes they just break out into song in the middle of cooking dinner. I think one time they're just cooking or they're making breakfast or something and then they just break out into the middle of the song. But I love it so much and I just, you, you need to go watch it. And it's, I don't want to, I wanna I just want you guys to watch it because there's so many different things within it. It's not just a musical. If you don't like musicals, still watch it because it has romance in it. If you don't like romance, watch it because it has comedy. If you don't like comedy, who doesn't like comedy, first off? But <laughs> if you don't like comedy, it's also like it tells the the history of filmmaking because it's set in um the the time when movies was going from silent films to talkies. And I realized that I just never gave a synopsis of the film. So let me give a quick synopsis of the film. I didn't give film. a synopsis of Shovel Knight either, but it's a, your, you did no, explain your it, though. shovel-wielding knight. Yeah, <laughs> you did explain it, though. So the main character is Don Lockwood, who has made it big in silent films, but must transfer into the world of talkies. But when it's discovered that his leading lady can't sing or has an awful voice in the recording, that they must find somebody to dub her voice. And it happens to be Lockwood's love interest, a chorus girl. And so you can imagine the chaos that ensues with... I mean, that's something that we've seen in movies today where people like try to... It's in High School Musical, for God's sakes, where somebody's lip-syncing for somebody else singing. And that started in Singing in the Rain. I love it. Just please go watch it. Well, <laughs> well, thanks, uh, you guys, for joining us on this intellectual journey. Uh, we hope to see you next week. 
Bye. Media for the Intellectually Impoverished is produced by Trey Taylor Smith and Miranda Randy Zapes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MFTII Podcast or email us at MFTII Podcast at gmail.com. That's MFT2I's Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>